let's begin. Um, so I wanted to start tonight by sharing something really cool that God has been doing uh, this past week. It's actually pretty cool. Uh, many of you re may remember a few weeks ago, uh, you know, I started one of my messages. I spent like a good 20 to 30 minutes just talking about how you guys need to have Bibles and you guys need to bring your Bibles to church. Right on. Who brought their Bible today? Let's, let's raise them up. Oh, I love it. I love it. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, so it's, it's super important uh, to bring your Bibles, especially at church. Like, this is the place where if there's any place where you feel safe bringing your Bible, it's here. You know, we're not going to look at you funny. <laughs> and so it, it's very important. Jesus Christ is the Word of God, and uh, he's the Word of God that became flesh, and he dwelt among us. So if you don't have the Word, you don't have Jesus. And if you don't have Jesus, then you don't have salvation or forgiveness. You know, and uh, many of you have begun... As you can tell, many of you have begun to bring your Bibles who weren't bringing them before, and uh, it's really encouraging. And many of you have, you know, told me you ordered a Bible or you're, you're, you're looking for a Bible, you know, trying to make that investment in a, in a Bible. Um, so that's great. I, it's, it's awesome. And uh, I just want to take this opportunity again, since I'm mentioning it, uh, to encourage everybody, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't have a physical Bible, get one. Get one. Invest in the Word of God. Get a Bible so you can bring it, so you can open it, so you can read it, so you can be built up in it. And when you're by yourself, you can also, you know, be built up in the Word of God, just you and the Lord. So it's, it's important. And the reason that I'm saying all this again is uh, this is the thing that God has been speaking to me about uh, this week. This past week, Pastor Steve, he gathered all, this, all the core church staff, all the pastors and, you know, the, the worship leader and just the staff of the church, and he was, um, he was admonishing us uh, of the importance of having our Bibles. Like, he didn't know what I was talking about at Zeal. You know, he was, he was just, he wanted to gather us together, and he was like, dude, we, we, need, we all need to have our Bibles. We need to have our Bibles. But then he took it, and he took it a step further, and he was talking about the value of notating in your Bible, which was another thing that I had been talking about a few weeks ago, just taking notes. When you come, take notes. Take notes on the things that you're hearing. Um, and he was just talking about the value of that, not just in the notebook, but he was talking about like actually in the pages of your Bible, which was really cool because it's something that I've been kind of, it's been on my mind. Because um, like if you look at my old Bibles, like my first Bible, it's like, it's, it's a mess. Like, it's like the, this, it's not even connected anymore. Like, it's, it's just, I could pull the pages out and throw away the leather. And, you know, like inside, just all kinds of notes and highlights and underlines and all that stuff. And when I bought this Bible, I was like, well, I want to keep it pretty. Like, I want to keep it nice and pretty and clean. Um, but when Pastor Steve was telling us about that, about like, no, you need to write in your Bibles. Because as you're reading your Bible... You'll see, you'll come across a scripture, and you'll have a little note there pointing you to another scripture, and then you're like, oh, well, what does that verse say? And then you go to that, and then you see a little note that you wrote there. So, like, it's super important to even just mark up your Bibles. And so I just want to take this time to encourage you guys with that, because God, is, God has just been talking about these things. It's crazy. So he was encouraging us to do that, and it's, it's, it's important. It helps you keep a better memory of the scriptures and you'll be able to connect scripture to other scripture as you, you know, as you, as, you, uh, as you share your faith or as you come against some challenges to your faith and stuff like that. Um, so God, like I said, he's just been continuing this idea of, of you know, th this idea that started a few weeks ago here at Zeal. 
He's been continuing this idea of bringing your Bibles, being intentional about your study uh, of God's Word, and, um, and just the practical admonition from Pastor Steve to don't be afraid to mark up your Bibles. Like, just mark it up like crazy. And when somebody who is much older in your faith kind of gives you some, some tips or advice, it's probably a good idea to take it, you know, like, especially if, if their walk with the Lord is something that you actually, like, admire. Like, they've been walking with the Lord for so long. It's just like, man, how are you still on fire for the Lord like that? It's crazy. So it's usually a good idea to take it seriously. But there was another thing that God had been putting on my heart to share with you guys. And uh, I never knew, like, how to present it. Like, I was always worried because I feel like when I, when I shared about bringing your Bibles, having your Bibles, like, I kind of felt like I was, like, I don't know. I just felt like, not, not that it was harsh, but it was just like, you know, it's, it's, it's serious, you know? And, and, and I, I dealt with it in a serious manner. And then there was this other thing that I felt like needed to be discussed. And I just didn't want to be like, man, I'm always coming at their necks. Like, this is crazy. Like, I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to be that guy. Um, but then something happened this past Sunday when Mr. Daryl Strawberry was here. How many of you guys were here for this Sunday for Daryl Strawberry? Wasn't that crazy? Wasn't that crazy? That was awesome. So I'm going to share a one-minute clip with you guys. But before I do, uh, I just want to explain that in this clip, uh, Mr. Strawberry, is, he, he addresses the thing that I wanted to address, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Um, he doesn't go into it deeply. You know, he's, he doesn't get deep about it. But he gets to the heart. He gets to the heart of what I was wanting to share, you know, of, of what I wanted to communicate, the heart of what I wanted to, of why I wanted to bring this up. Um, so before we play the clip, this is from the 8.30 service. And he's, he's 10 minutes into his message. He's literally 10 minutes into his message, and then something happens. And hopefully you'll be able to figure out what happens by his reaction. Um, and hopefully, yeah, hopefully you'll be able to catch it. So let's go ahead and play that clip. So you win when you don't quit and when you don't give up. What is that? What are you saying? Who are you trusting when the storms of life? Who are you really trusting? That's not Jesus. Turn that off. <laughs> we're in church. We come to hear about Jesus when we come to church. We don't come to talk about anything else. The church house is all about Jesus. It's not about anything else. You got to make your mindset up that the church house is about Jesus. It's not about anything else. It's about God's plan and what he's going to do in my life. Everything else I got to leave outside of here. When I come to church, I come here to worship God, serve God, and praise God and give him glory and honor for getting me up. When your feet hit the ground in the morning, you should know one thing. Jesus is Lord. He is the Lord over everything about me every time I wake up. There's nothing else. Been there, done it, seen it all. Don't work. Right on. And so it was a little hard to tell. Uh, but so he's preaching. And as he's preaching, as he starts to walk off this way, a phone starts ringing from this part of the sanctuary. And so that's why he, he cuts in the middle of his, of his message to say, if that ain't Jesus, you better turn that off. And then he goes into that whole thing of, like, why we're here. His response, if that's not Jesus, turn that off. We're in church, he says. We come, here, we come to hear about Jesus when we're in church. The church house is all about Jesus. It's not about anything else. Leave everything else outside of here. When I come to church, I come to worship God, serve God, praise God, give glory to God for getting me up. And 
That wasn't planned. That wasn't a planned part of his message. It's just something, it was spirit-led for sure. Like, he heard the phone ringing, and he was, all right, I need to address this. So I wanted to address this. This is something that I had wanted to address, but I wasn't sure exactly how. But then God was just like, all right, fine, then I'll just have Daryl Strawberry do it. You know, Daryl, get him, you know. And, um, but he's absolutely right. Daryl Strawberry is absolutely right. When, when we come into this place, we're here for Jesus. We're here for Jesus. We're here to worship Jesus, to learn from Jesus, to dwell among Jesus' people and grow in our relationship with him. That's why I keep pushing you all to bring your swords, your Bibles. Hebrews 4.12, it says that the word of God is a sword, double-edged sword. But there's still another little distraction that needs to get taken care of. And I want to talk about this little distraction, but first... I want to see if maybe I can try to understand how this little distraction comes about. I'm trying to get into the mind of, like, how does this distraction happen? So here's what I'm thinking. This is what I'm thinking happens. You're sitting there. you got your Bible open. You're following along the passage as, as the preaching is going on. And then you come across Psalm 12:6, which says, The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, filtered seven times. And you're thinking, yeah, the word is like silver, refined in a furnace, filtered seven times. It's filtered. Filters. Filter. Hashtag no filter. I wonder what's going on on Instagram right now. Man, oh, right on. Or maybe if that's too, maybe that's too on the nose. Maybe, maybe that's just, maybe that's too on the nose. Maybe it's something like this. Maybe it goes like this. You're following along with the, with the scripture. Matthew 6, 26 gets read. It says, look at the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And you're thinking, he feeds the birds of the sky. That's good. The birds. What's going on on Twitter right now? Hmm. Let me see. And then what happens? And then what happens? As you're scrolling through Instagram, you miss the wonderful point that God's word is the purest thing that you could have in your life. It's the truest thing that you can have in your life. And it has provided for you everything that you need for life and godliness. You miss that because you're scrolling through Instagram. Or you're scrolling through Twitter. And you miss the preacher talking about how, yeah, God feeds the birds. And if he feeds the birds, how much more is he going to feed you? You are more precious to God than some birds. Amen. He has the hairs on your head numbered. Every single hair. That's a lot on Drew. That's a lot of numbers. (laughs) So if you haven't figured it out, the little distraction that I'm referring to is, you know, our phones. Our phones, that that little distraction. And like Daryl Strawberry said, we are here for Jesus. Leave everything else outside. For an hour and a half, for an hour and a half, just shut the rest of the world out and focus in on Jesus. You're You're not here for nothing. You're not here for no reason. Like God is here and he wants to speak to you. So listen. Just listen, humble yourself, be hungry for Jesus, eat the meal that God has prepared for you, eat it, and then find someone to serve while you're here. Pray for somebody, encourage somebody, love on somebody in Jesus' name. Or you can just keep scrolling, whatever, you know, you guys are adults, you're going to do whatever you want to do. I'm just saying, as someone who's been walking with Christ for 13 years now, Daryl Strawberry, who's been walking with the Lord for 19 years Pastor Steve, been walking with the Lord for 40 plus years. Take this time with Christ seriously. 
Take this time with Christ seriously. Be intentional. Bring your Bibles. Take notes. Mark up your Bibles. Kill the distractions. Just put it away. If it's not an emergency, why is it taking dominance over your time with Jesus? Just ask him. In his presence is fullness of joy. In his presence is fullness of joy. And in his right hand are eternal pleasures. Amen? Amen. All right. That's our study. I'm just kidding. All right. So, as many of you know, we've been going through the parables in Matthew 13. Parables in Matthew 13. So if you want to get ahead, let's, go, let's all turn to Matthew 13. We'll be continuing that this week, going through the parables of Matthew 13. Tonight we'll be going over the parable of the net, the parable of the storehouse, and then what follows after those parables. But before we do that, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for bringing everybody here tonight. Everyone who is here is here for a reason. You want to speak to them. And I pray that you would do that through me. I pray that you would remove all pride and arrogance. Uh, empty me, God, and fill me with your spirit. And I pray that we would leave this place different than how we came in. Be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So just a quick reminder for those of you who maybe haven't been here the past few weeks, or maybe you just need a reminder. Uh, what is a parable? We're going through the parables. What is a parable? Well, the word parable means to cast alongside, to put something next to something else. Now, what you're doing is you're putting a story or a comparison alongside a truth or a concept to help bring a clearer understanding. Recently uh, on our Instagram, uh, there was a, an amazing post uh, talking about the, 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 the class action settlement, where it's basically a parable where, you know, in a class action settlement, a, a company or a corporation gets sued on your behalf, the company settles, like, okay, just take this money, go away. So because it was on behalf of you, the law firm sends you a paper saying, hey, there's money here for you. The money's there for you, but you have to take the next step. You have to fill out the form, submit it so that they can mail you your check. If you don't mail out, if you don't mail out that form, they're not giving you a check. You're not going to get it. So that was, that was, another, that was one of the parables. Uh, talking about Instagram, now all you guys are going to be like, oh, what's, what's that post? <laughs> You, you talked about it. Uh, no, but um, parables, it's a great tool. Parables are a great tool to help bring clarity to a concept. Uh, Jesus was very intentional with these parables, and as he was with everything he, he did and said. But with that, let's turn, if you haven't already, to Matthew 13. I haven't. Let's go to Matthew 13, and we're going to start in verse 47. All right, we're going to go through uh, verse 50. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a large net thrown into the sea. It collected every kind of fish, and when it was full, they dragged it ashore, sat down, and gathered the good fish into containers, but threw out the worthless ones. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will go out, separate the evil people from the righteous, and throw them into the blazing furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So one of the ways that people used to fish back in Jesus' day uh, was uh, they would have a very long net, a very long net. Sometimes it was up to 300 feet long, which is very long, and about eight feet wide sometimes. And the purpose of it being that long is um, they would, on one side of the net, they would attach cork so that that side of the net would float. And then on the other end of the 300 feet, they would attach uh, lead, lead uh, sinkers, and so, the, so that the net would go as far down as it possibly could into the sea or wherever they were fishing. And 
And then they would have ropes attached to the ends of the net. And so then they would pull the rope that was uh, connected to the net that was at the bottom of the ocean or the bottom of the sea. And so they would pull it up, and as they're pulling it up, fish would get trapped. That was one way. There's, there's many different ways that they would fish. Um, but all kinds of fish would be caught in this net. All kinds of fish. It wasn't discriminatory. You'd have good fish, and then you'd have bad fish. Um, how many of you guys remember Forrest Gump? <laughs> Sarah's hand went up so quick. <laughs> you know, when, when he starts the, the shrimp boat business, and then uh, uh, there's that scene where uh, Lieutenant Dan, Lieutenant Dan, uh, he comes up to, uh, to, to join the business. And so he's like at the top of the, the boat. I don't know what you call the very top of the boat. I feel like bird's nest. Is that a thing? Crow's nest. I was close. Uh, so he's, he's up there and he's like, over there, that's where we're going to find all the shrimp. And so, you know, Forrest makes the boat go in that direction. And then they cut next scene. They're emptying the net. And all that comes out, you know, he's like, oh, the shrimp is going to be there. But all that comes out is like some shrubs and some like empty soda cans and like and a toilet seat, uh, and a used toilet seat. Um, and, you know, Forrest is like, still no shrimp, Lieutenant Dan. I can't do a Forrest. I wish I could do a Forrest Gump voice. I tried. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> but although the fishermen in Jesus' day, they weren't going to pull in some, you know, some, some used toilet seats. That wasn't going to happen. They did pull up some bad fish along with the good fish that they were going to keep, obviously. In, in the Old Testament law, uh, the children of Israel, were, they were allowed to eat any fish that had fins and scales. They had fins and scales. They could eat those fish. But if it didn't have those two things, uh, it was to be detestable to them. It, it was unclean, and they were not allowed to eat it. So an example of, of a fish, uh, so like, um, like a catfish. Catfish, they have uh, fins, but they don't have scales. Um, sharks, not that there would be any sharks in the Sea of Galilee, but, you know, sharks, they have fins, but they don't have scales. Uh, other examples like, shri like shrimp, Forrest Gump, Bubblegum Shrimp Company, you know, the shrimp, they don't have uh, fins or scales. So that was an unclean animal that they could not eat. Um, side note, the Old Testament dietary laws. I just want to go over this because this is something that came up in, when, when I got saved and, and I started walking with the Lord. And people brought this to my attention to kind of challenge my faith. Um, the Old Testament dietary laws, you'll find them in the Old Testament, obviously, in Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14. And um, these are God's commands as it pertains to what the children of Israel could eat uh, or not eat. And some, some people, some people out there, whether by accident or on purpose, uh, will try to convince you that you must follow these dietary laws uh, or else you're in sin. You're disobeying God. Uh, so if this issue were to ever come up with any of you guys, if this were to ever come up, um, I want you to have confidence that it's okay that you're eating those ribs, you know? Maybe not for your health, <laughs> but, but according to, you know, God's commands, it's all right. So uh, let's go to Acts chapter 10. Let's go to Acts chapter 10. It's a few books over. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and chapter 10. So I just want to give you some background before we read it. So what's happening here is there's a Roman, a Roman soldier named Cornelius, and he gets a vision. He gets a vision where an angel tells him, send people to go get Peter because Peter's going to have a message for you. So go, send somebody. And Cornelius sends some folks, and while they're on their way, Peter is praying, and he's super hungry, like so hungry that he begins to see a vision. Have you guys ever been that hungry? 
I haven't. That's weird. <laughs> um, that reminds me, there's this, uh, there's this thing I saw. Uh, you guys have probably heard of it because you guys are cooler than I am. But there's this, uh, what does it say? Um, this guy. He's like, if you ever want to find out, if you want to avoid all the arguments about with, with, your, with your girlfriend or with your wife, like, where should we go eat? This is what you do. You say, guess where we're going for dinner? And then the first answer that she gives, that's where you go. And then uh, uh, a woman responded to that. She commented, you cracked the code that we didn't know we had. Because it's true. Like, it's like, I mean, people who've been in relationships, you, that's, I don't know why that's a thing. You're just always, what do you want to eat? I don't care. Like, oh, okay, let's go to Del Taco. I don't want Del Taco. You know, it's just, and it's always this, this back and forth, you know, and, and you try to come up with games. Like, we, we had this game where it was, it was like a, I forget, there's, the number five is involved. So uh, we would bring up five restaurants. So just keep it simple, McDonald's, Del Taco, Chick-fil-A, El Pollo Loco, and the Target snack bar. And so we'd have those five. And so then um, I would eliminate one, my wife would eliminate the other one, and then, uh, and then she would eliminate one. And so the two that were left, we'd flip a coin. So these were five restaurants that we both agreed on. And so the two that were left, we flip a coin, one's heads, one's tails, flip a coin, whatever it lands on, that's where you go. Simple, but then it still gets complicated. Because then, then when you flip the coin, and my wife, she's very observant, so I flip the coin, it lands on heads, she's not looking at the coin, she's looking at my face to see how I'm gonna react to when it lands on heads, and it's like, oh, heads means Del Taco, if I'm like, oh, right on, then she's like, okay, cool. But if, if, if it lands on heads and Del Taco, and I'm just like, She's like, you don't want to go there. Like, no, 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 it's fine. Like, I'm totally down. He's like, no, no, no. And I was like, okay, well, then let's go to the other place. I don't really want to go to that place. And they cracked the code. Guess where we're going for lunch? First one they say, yes, that's where we're going. And then you'll avoid all the arguments. Uh, But where where did that come from? Um, (laughs) Cornelius. Cornelius sent some people to go get Peter. Peter was super hungry. So let's read uh, Acts chapter 10. And we're going to start in verse 9. So the next day, as they were traveling and nearing the city, the people that Cornelius sent, as they were traveling and nearing the city, Peter went up to pray on the housetop about noon. And then he became hungry and wanted to eat. But while they were preparing something, he went into a visionary state. He saw heaven opened and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, this is the voice of the Lord. And Peter says, no, Lord, Peter said, for I have never eaten anything common and ritually unclean. Again, a second time, a voice said to him, what God has made clean, you must not call common or unclean. And this happened three times. Then the object was taken up into heaven. So Peter sees a vision. Uh, of all these unclean animals on this sheet, animals that the Jews were forbidden to eat according to the Old Testament dietary laws, and God tells Peter to eat them. And Peter, Peter's hungry. So God says, you know, eat, eat these animals. But Peter's like, no, like these are unclean animals. I'm not, I, I don't eat these things. To which God responds, what I have called clean, what I make clean, you don't call unclean. Now, prior to this vision, the early believers, they all thought that salvation was for the Jews, that it was, it was going to stay in-house, and, and that you had to follow the Old Testament law, the law of Moses. But 
through this event, God was showing them that salvation was for everyone. Salvation was for everyone, not just for the Jews and not just for those who were under the law. It was for everyone, and there's no distinction anymore. The Old Testament dietary laws were, were, they were there to make a distinction between God's people, Israel, and the rest of the world. But now that distinction has been torn down. You know, what does it say in Galatians 3.28? It says, there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So there are no unclean foods, according to Acts chapter 10. There's no unclean foods. Um, maybe unhealthy, maybe not good for you, but there are no unclean foods, according to Acts chapter 10. We're not obligated to keep the dietary laws of the Old Testament. But if you wanted something a little more simple, you know, to address this, uh, in Mark chapter 7, verses 18 and 19, uh, Jesus says, uh, Are you also as lacking in understanding? Don't you realize that nothing going into a man from the outside can defile him? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and is eliminated. As a result, he made all foods clean. So there's, there's a simpler one. I just thought I'd go to the, the, the more detailed route. But plain and simple, right there in Mark chapter 7, he declared all, he made all foods clean. And there are other scriptures on this topic, um, but that's just a quick overview. So if you want to highlight or underline those verses you know, for future use, because <laughs> you know, you're going you're gonna to need them, trust me. I didn't think I was ever going to need these verses, but then it came up as I, was, you know, I would share my faith. Before we move back to the parable, before we move back to the parable, I just want uh, to take an opportunity to apply Acts chapter 10 to all of us. I want to apply Acts chapter 10 to all of us. When Cornelius was told to send people uh, to go get Peter, because Peter was going to be giving them a word from God, Peter was completely unaware of this. He had no idea. Sometimes the Lord is already preparing somebody out there to be ministered to by you. He's already preparing them to be ministered to by you long before you're even aware of it. Long before you're even aware of it. God may want to use you to present this precious gift of the gospel to someone. And he's working out circumstances in other people's lives so that your words specifically will hit them, that will affect them. So in the meantime, prepare yourself. Prepare yourself. In the meantime, get ready. In the meantime, spend time with the Lord. Spend time with the Lord and allow him to lead you. You know, while Peter was seeing what he was seeing in the vision with the animals and stuff coming down, he had no idea what the purpose of all that was. He had no idea, what, like, he had no idea why that was happening. All he knew is that... Uh, God told him, whatever I call clean, don't call unclean. As far as Peter was concerned, that's all it was about. It was all about food. It was all about the dietary laws. He didn't have any context for this. He was hungry. So he, he probably thought it was just all about food. It wasn't until Peter was standing in front of Cornelius, until he was standing in front of Cornelius, that he realized the deeper meaning of this vision that God gave him. It wasn't until he was deep in his obedience to God that he realized that God was doing something bigger than he even imagined. It's not about food, Peter. It's about people. So that's why, you know, that's why the theme keeps coming up when I'm preaching up here. The theme that keeps coming up is maintain your relationship with Christ through the reading of the word, through prayer, and through fellowship. It may not mean anything to you right now as you're listening to me speak. It may not mean anything as you're reading on your lunch break or in between classes. It may not mean anything as you're underlining that verse in that moment, but God can and will use these things for his glory 
and for his kingdom in the future. So just be obedient right now. God wants to do something bigger than you could have ever imagined. And it almost always has nothing to do with you. Almost always has nothing to do with you. It's all about his glory and his kingdom. You just, you get, you benefit from it though. Like it's, it's a blessing to be used by God for his kingdom. How many of you guys know this? Yes. Amen. So take the time now to prepare for those encounters that God is orchestrating to take place in the future. But back to the parable of the net. So they catch good fish and they catch bad fish, clean fish and unclean fish. And what they did with, what did they do with these fish? What do they do with these fish? Well, the good fish, they collected into containers, these fishermen in the parable, but they threw out the worthless ones, is what the scripture says. And Jesus gives us a little explanation of this parable. Um, the bad fish are the evil people. According to Jesus' explanation, bad fish represent the evil people. Good fish are the righteous. And the bad fish or the evil people will be thrown into hell where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There will be torment. So again, we have yet another parable where the false believers are mingling in with the true believers. And it's not until the end that there will be a permanent separation of the two where the true believers will be saved and the false believers will be condemned to hell. You know, Jesus describes the good fish as righteous. He describes these people as righteous people. But before anybody gets all high and mighty in here or before anybody gets offended, oh, these self-righteous people, this needs to be clear. The only righteousness that anyone can have confidence in is the righteousness that is in Jesus Christ. The righteousness that Jesus Christ achieved when he dwelt among us, when he dwelt among his people about 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ is the only one who lived perfectly under the law of God, yet he still died a sinner's death. But the death, that death was the very reason that he came into this world and the very reason that he lived perfectly. Our sin has demanded that God's justice must be served. But God's justice being served means that we're all condemned to hell because we've all fallen short and sinned. But because he loves us so much, he chose to sacrifice himself on our behalf so that he could take on the full force of God's wrath for us. And because he was perfect, because he was perfect, he was the only one who was able to take God's wrath, God's wrath is satisfied, and then be raised again from the dead to prove that death has been defeated and that God's wrath truly was satisfied in the cross of Christ. And now if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we can be saved. We can be saved. Your confession results in salvation and your belief results in righteousness. It's called imputation. That word imputation means that Jesus gives us his perfection and then he takes our sin, crucifies it on the cross. Praise the Lord for that. I, got, I have a lot to give to him. It's the only thing that I have a lot to give to him. <laughs> it's a lot of sin. But the good fish will be saved. The righteous will be saved through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. The bad fish, they won't be saved. They'll be thrown away. So make every effort to enter through the narrow door because there are few who find this door and there are few who enter and this door leads to eternal life. Those are Jesus' words. Make every effort to take hold of the goal of knowing him if indeed he has also taken hold of you. Make every effort to enter into the eternal Sabbath rest so that you won't fall into disobedience 
Make every effort to confirm your calling and your election by seeking Christ wholeheartedly so you won't stumble. Make every effort to be at peace with God, to be holy and spotless through his grace. Even when the bad fish surround you, like last week, even when the birds are surrounding you, even when you're surrounded by yeast, even when you're surrounded by weeds, and they're enticing you to compromise, make every effort to stand firm in the Lord and know his word. The cost is way too high to not make every effort. Salvation is free, but this walk is going to cost you. Salvation is free, but this walk is costly. So make every effort to follow him closely and don't be soiled by the world. So let's move on to Matthew 13, verses 51 through 53, as we look at the storehouse. Verse 51. Have you understood all these things? Yes, they told him. Therefore, he said to them, every student of scripture instructed in the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who brings out of his storeroom what is new and what is old. When Jesus had finished these parables, he left there. He asks his disciples if, they, if, they, if they've understood everything that he's been saying, all these parables that he's been sharing in Matthew 13. And they all say, yes, we, we've understood. Um, if you remember back in verse 11 and 12, actually, if you guys want to turn there, it's Matthew 13, at verse 11 and 12. Uh, when his disciples asked him, like, why do you speak in parables? This is what he says. He says, because the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given for you to know, but it has not been given to them. For whoever has, more will be given to him, and he will have more than enough. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. These parables, these, these secrets of the kingdom of heaven are for his disciples. It's for them to know. And Jesus confirms to them by asking them if they understood, and they said yes. So in this understanding, his disciples are now students of Scripture. That's why he says, every student of Scripture instructed in the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who brings out of his storeroom what is new and what is old. The more literal translation of a student of Scripture is the word scribe. scribe. And this was the term used for those whose job it was to preserve the word of God, to study it and to apply it to daily life. But many of the scribes of the day had lost their way. Many of the scribes in Jesus' day lost their way. It became all about preserving the traditions of man and adding burdens onto the word of God that made it difficult for just the regular people to actually just see God, to, to see who God was because all these burdens and things added to the word. And the scribes were the ones who knew, they knew the secrets of the kingdom. They knew it. But over time, they lost it. So now Jesus is telling his disciples that they are the scribes because now they have the secrets of the kingdom. They have the word of God. They had Jesus. The scribes didn't. So now the disciples are the true scribes who follow, preserve, study, and apply the word of God. And in the translation that I was reading from the Holman, uh, it says, every student of scripture instructed in the kingdom of heaven. But another more literal translation says it like this, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven. And what's a disciple? Well, a disciple is someone who follows, someone who's instructed, someone who is taught. So all of us here, if we're, if, we're, if we're seeking the Lord, all of us here, we're disciples. It's not just the disciples in the Bible. We are disciples too. We are taught the word of God. We are his disciples. So because we are his disciples and we have this understanding, we too are the true scribes. 
who, have the, who we have the secrets of the kingdom to. But what does this mean? It means, like I said, we have the true understanding. We have the, total, the totality of Scripture. That's what we have. We have the totality of Scripture. We have Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, he's hiding in plain sight all throughout the Old Testament. And then he's revealed with great might all throughout the New Testament. We have it all. And it says that we are like landowners. We are like landowners who bring out of our storeroom things new and things old. This storeroom in this day, this storeroom is where they would keep their treasures, where they would keep their valuables, this storeroom. So we're bringing out treasure, meaning we are to share this thing that we have. We are to share this treasure of the gospel. We're to share it. We're to give this thing out. We're not supposed to hoard it. That's what the original scribes did. They were hoarding it, and then they lost it. This treasure we have, we have it in abundance, so we're never going to run out of it. So we need to give it away to as many people as we possibly can, to as many people as we're called to give it away to. So we are the true scribes, and because we are also his disciples, we take this treasure that we possess and we give it away and create new scribes and new disciples. Uh, there was this one time uh, when I used to work at a coffee shop, and uh, I used to, I worked at the coffee shop, but then I would also hang out at the coffee shop because free coffee, you know? I, I, that's probably why most of you were here, right? The free coffee? No, just, no, but yeah, so free coffee. So like, shoot, why not? And so, you know, I would, I would read. I would read my Bible as I was there. And um, one time there was this kid who came in, and he's, he kind of sat, like, next to me. And I just sparked up a conversation with him. I was like, hey, man, like, you ever read the Bible? You, you ever heard the gospel, you know, about Jesus? And he's like, eh, you know, I've, I've heard a few things, but, eh, you know. But we have a conversation, and I'm able to, to, to share the gospel with this kid. And then he leaves. And I'm like, all right, there's another one that nothing happened. And then a few months later, um, I'm there at, at the coffee shop. I'm working. And then this kid comes in. Uh, who looked like the kid that I spoke with before, but he looked a little older. Like, he had a little bit of a peach fuzz. You know, he had gone through puberty, this kid. Um, you know, he got a little taller. The voice was a little deeper. Um, and it was cool because, like, he recognized me. I kind of recognized him, but he recognized me because I didn't change. Like, I was the same. Um, and he's like, hey, man, like, I don't know if you remember, but, you know, you, you, were, you were sharing with me uh, right over there. And I was like, yeah, I remember you, dude. I remember that. How you doing? He's like, like I'm following Jesus. Like I'm part of a youth group, and you know I'm I'm, I'm at this church, and I'm just I'm I'm seeking the Lord. And I was like, dude, that's amazing. So, we are to share this treasure with people, even if we don't see the immediate results, because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know you don't know what that word is going to do, what that treasure is going to do as you put it out there. So that was pretty cool. But we are the true scribes. And we give this treasure out. So let's continue to verse 54 as we read uh, through the end of chapter 13. Matthew 13, verse 54. He went to his hometown and began to teach them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, how, does, how did this wisdom and these miracles come to him? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, aren't they all with us? So where does he get all these things? 
and they were offended by him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. This is such a fitting end to this chapter. This is such a fitting end, this chapter. In the whole of Matthew 13, Jesus shares eight total parables. Jesus shares eight parables that he uses to bring a better understanding um, of the kingdom of heaven. And when we say that, when I, when, when I say the kingdom of heaven, um, I, I'm not talking about the, the physical, geographical location of heaven, um, at least not in this context in Matthew 13. That's not what the context uh, is talking about. Uh, the kingdom of heaven in Matthew 13 is, is, uh, is Christendom. It's, it's uh, the course of, that the gospel will take in the world. It's what the church will look like as time goes on. Um, so let's look at the content of the parables. Let's just review for a sec. In the first parable, the parable of the sower, Jesus starts with the preaching of the word of God. You know, he, the, in this parable, the sower plants seeds in his field. And depending where the seed lands, the resulting growth or lack of growth uh, will differ from seed to seed, depending where the seed lands. Now, most seeds end up coming to nothing in this parable. Only a small percentage of the seeds in this parable actually produce fruit. And as Jesus explained, the seed is the word of God, and the different soils where the seed lands are different people who hear the word of God. Most people will not follow Christ. Most people will not follow Christ. Only a small percentage of people will actually produce spiritual fruit. That's just facts. That's, that's why Jesus shared this parable. He said, the path is narrow and there are few who find it, but the, the path that leads to destruction is very broad and many will find that one. So Jesus starts with the preaching of the word, the spreading of the seed, because that's how the kingdom of heaven begins. Matthew 13, parables about the kingdom of heaven. Well, how does the kingdom of heaven begin? It begins with the preaching of the word of God. That's how the kingdom of heaven begins. It begins with the word. And then in the last parable, the one that we just discussed regarding uh, the scribe and the, and the disciple who has a storeroom of treasures, uh, that's the result. That's the result of someone who has been instructed in the kingdom of heaven, someone who follows the kingdom of heaven. These people will bring treasure and give it to others. So the first and the last parable of Matthew 13, they talk about how the kingdom of heaven begins and what a person who knows the kingdom of heaven will look like. So those are two of the eight parables. But the remaining six parables, the remaining six, he used them to bring some clarity of the aspects of the kingdom of heaven, of the characteristics of the kingdom. You know, that's why he began his six parables with the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of heaven can be compared to, and then he goes into this description, he goes into this parable. And remember, he's not talking about a geographical location. He's talking about how the kingdom of heaven plays out in the world. And of those six parables, the six parables, in four of those parables, Jesus is describing how the church, how God's people, how the church is going to be infiltrated with false believers, non-believers, children of Satan, the enemies of God, people who in their hearts reject Jesus Christ. We saw this in the parable of the wheat and the weeds, if you were here with that. The weeds are growing next to the wheat. We saw it in the parable of the mustard seed. The mustard seed is planted, it grows into a tree. The birds are nesting in the tree. We saw it in the parable of the yeast and the dough. The dough is the church, but the yeast goes in. It only takes a little bit of yeast to, get, to spread throughout all the dough. 
And we saw in the parable of the net, where the net catches the good fish and the bad fish. So you have four parables, four parables, plus the first parable of the sower, five parables, five parables talking about how there will be people who ultimately reject Christ. Five of the eight parables in Matthew 13, over 50% of the parables, over half of the parables, the majority of the parables. It's funny when people like use these congruent terms to like, you're like, dude, you're just saying the same thing over and over again. Like, I did that on purpose. Uh, but yeah, so five out of the eight parables in Matthew 13, he's talking about people who ultimately reject Jesus Christ and they will be among us. They'll be here. They'll be in the church. And that's why the way that Matthew 13 ends, the chapter of Matthew 13 ends, is so fitting. The majority of the talk in Matthew 13 is about the rejection of Christ as the church, as the kingdom of heaven progresses in the world. And then Matthew 13 ends with an actual example of people rejecting Jesus. It's no longer a parable. Now this is an application of the parable. This is the fulfillment of all these parables. And it's not like he didn't provide these people with enough evidence of who he was. You know, he actually did. If you read verse 54 again, it says, he went to his hometown and began to teach them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, how did this wisdom and these miracles come to him? The people were astonished at him. Why? Because of the great wisdom he had and because of the miracles that he was performing. They were eyewitnesses of the kingdom of heaven as Jesus was bringing the kingdom with him through his heavenly wisdom and through his heavenly miracles. Yet they still rejected him. They still rejected him. Even as they were among the kingdom of heaven, even as they were among the miracles, and among the secrets of the kingdom, even as they were in the midst of the kingdom of heaven, playing out right in front of their eyes, they were unbelieving and they rejected him. Jesus shares the parables, talking about how there will be rejectors and unbelievers in the midst of the kingdom of heaven within the church. And then the parables are fleshed out and fulfilled as people reject and don't believe as they are in the midst of the kingdom of heaven within Jesus Christ's ministry. The word of God is amazing. The word of God is amazing. It's smooth. God put it together so well. It's incredible. It's, it's awesome. So those are the parables. And I just want to encourage those of you who maybe are like Jesus. You're like Jesus, you're without honor in your own household. Like Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own household. Maybe you feel that way. You've made a confession of faith in Jesus Christ and you're making every effort to follow Jesus Christ wholeheartedly, but you have people in your own home, people who are close to you, who just wanna tear you down because you know, they know who you used to be, and that's all that they can see. Jesus was performing miracles and presenting great wisdom, things that were not of this world, yet the people couldn't see past the fact that he was from where they were from. They were from the same town. 
So, you know, there's no way that this guy is actually the real deal. Like, we're from the same city. And you may be experiencing the same thing. Those close to you may be doubting, doubting you or doubting the change that Jesus is making in your life. Let them. Let them doubt. You just keep going. You keep going. What does the Bible say that Jesus did in response to this, to, to their unbelief? In the Gospel of Matthew, it says that he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. In the Gospel of Mark, it says that he laid his hands on a few sick people and he healed them, and he was amazed by their unbelief. In Luke, it's a, it's a little more intense in the Gospel of Luke. It says that they were so upset with Jesus that they tried to throw him off a cliff, uh, but Jesus managed to escape. Uh, so here's, here's the first thing that I can encourage you with. At least no one's trying to throw you off a cliff, right? That's, that's cool. <laughs> that's nice. But, but Matthew and Mark, they say that he did a few miracles while he was there, and after that, you don't ever read about Jesus returning to Nazareth. After, after this rejection at Nazareth in the Gospels, you never read about him going back to Nazareth. In Matthew 7, 6, Jesus says, don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs or they will trample them with their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So what Jesus is saying is that he's saying at a certain point, at a certain point, you're going to come to a place where it's time to kind of, quote, give up on certain people. Stop taking the precious treasure from your storeroom and offering it up to dogs and pigs because they're not appreciating it. They're not accepting it. They're not receiving it. That's not to say stop praying for them. That's not to say that because maybe God has someone else lined up for them to speak with, like Peter in Acts chapter 10. You guys remember we talked about that? God had Peter lined up to speak to Cornelius and his household. And Peter was obedient to this. He was obedient, and it resulted in the salvation of Cornelius and his household. So maybe God was using you to plant the seed of the gospel in these people's hearts, but now he's going to use someone else to water it and to help it to grow. If that's the case, you need to pray that that someone else that God has lined up you need to pray that they're going to be obedient to God and minister to those that are in your household that you're kind of giving up on. Pray that the other people out there, the other believers out there are going to be obedient to the Lord when he says, go talk to that person. And also, pray that you would be obedient when God tells you to go talk to somebody because that's some other Christian's family member that they have kind of given up on. They're still praying for them. But pray that you would be obedient when God says, go talk to that person. But keep walking and keep following Christ wholeheartedly. Just keep, just keep going. You know, maybe these people that are in your house, you know, maybe these people who are unable to see beyond your past, they're just waiting to see if your profession of faith is real. Maybe they're just waiting to see if it's real. And that takes time. It takes time. Uh, there's, a, there's a story that I, that I heard as, as the worship team, if you guys want to come back up, even if you don't want to, come, come up. 
So there's a story of a missionary who went out uh, to go uh, minister to a village. I don't know where. Um, but he goes out to minister to this village, and he was there for years, year after year, year after year, preaching the gospel uh, with very few, if any, people coming to faith in Jesus Christ, just out there laboring, you know, preaching, serving, praying, everything. He was just serving out there. And after several years, he became very frustrated for, for a good reason, because there, just, there seemed to be no fruit. All this work and all these years that he was putting in and nothing was coming of it. And then the time came where he was to be replaced by another missionary. And so as he met with this, his replacement, um, he, uh, he was communicating to this person that, hey, man, it's tough. Like, I was here for years and not a single person decided to follow Jesus. Like, basically just warning them for the disappointment that he was, he was about to walk into. Like, you just, you know, don't get your hopes up too high. And so the replacement missionary, he, he gets in there, and very soon after that this guy preaches the gospel, nearly the entire village comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Like, they all just, they all want a relationship with Jesus. And this replacement missionary was confused, because he's like, I thought, false info, like, what's going on? And so he asked the people, he asked, like, why, why they never came to faith all those years that the other guy was here uh, why they came to faith so soon after he arrived. Like, it's, it was the same message. He was preaching the same gospel. And they told him, they told this replacement missionary that they spent all those years watching the first guy, watching him to see if the message that he was preaching was true, if what he was preaching was actually true, which would be evidenced by the way that he was living. They concluded that because of the way that the first missionary had lived his life while he was among them, that the message of the gospel was true. It's actually life-changing. They saw it firsthand. And that's why they came to faith right away when the first guy left and the next guy came in, because they, they were convinced, yeah, the gospel is real. The gospel is true. We've seen it firsthand. So maybe this is the time for you, for those of you who maybe have people who kind of dogging you in your own household or in your own circle, maybe this is time for you to just live out the gospel. You know, I've heard it said, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Um, I wouldn't say that I completely agree with that quote, because, you know, there's that whole scripture of, you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So, you know, how are they going to hear the word of God if you're not using words? So, but what I do agree with is that the gospel should be seen in our lives. People should be able to see the gospel in our lives as we interact with others. We should be distinct in our behavior, which would cause someone to think, man, there's something different about this person. And because you have already had that conversation with them, you've already made your faith in Christ clear by speaking the word of God to them initially, those in your household will know that it's Jesus who is making you different. It's Jesus as they observe you. So if there's anybody in here, if you guys need encouragement tonight, maybe that's your situation or maybe whatever, whatever situation you're in, uh, we have our leaders here uh, who want to pray for you. We have Ronald in the back, and we have Kelly right there. Kelly, raise your hand. And then we have uh, Alicia. Raise your hand up high. Yes. All right, cool. Ronald, can you raise your hand up high for the guys? Everybody knows Ronald. 
Um, but yeah, if you need encouragement, you need prayer, whatever, you know, we're here. That's what we're here for. So uh, yeah, let's, let's worship. And remember, next week, extended night of worship. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray, God, that your word ministered to everybody here um, in whatever way they needed to be ministered to. And I just pray that the truth of the gospel is clear, and I pray that the truth of your word is clear, and that, um, as I prayed in the beginning, God, that we would be different, um, that we would leave differently than how we came in. So thank you, God, for all that you are and all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.